Hi, welcome to Swordnet Radio on our new feed. Hopefully you found us okay. So you heard some familiar music, and that's right, we are back to D&D. This episode is the continuation of our 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons campaign, Doors. We haven't been able to do much recording of D&D because life has been complicated. So unfortunately there had to be some changes that happened kind of off camera. For a lot of these episodes, Dave was unavailable and wasn't really liking uh, the character of Jace. Uh, so we've had to write him out and Tom has had life happen to him and can't make the sessions anymore. We're hoping at some point he can come back, but it's not looking likely at the moment. And as listeners know, we've had Kate join us, so we've got another player to write into the party. And as any GM knows, when some people leave the party and some people join it, you're going to have a lot of character episodes, a lot of exposition, so hopefully we'll keep it interesting for you. There is a lot of really deep character stuff coming up, uh, lots of development, lots of drama, uh, and some actual feels. But don't worry, we don't get too serious, because it's still sort of radio and it's still mostly about dick jokes. Because it's been a while, I think I'll recap the story so far. Our adventure started with a city under siege. The city of Kerava in Anish had been beset by a marauding army. Our characters were in a tavern. I didn't like that they chose to start in a tavern, so I dropped it on them. The tavern collapsed and had been undermined by these lizard creatures popping out all over the city. They were darting around, kidnapping vulnerable folks, and the party noticed that whenever any of them died, another one of their number would take a dagger out of their pocket and stab them in the forehead with it. The dead lizard folk would then revert to a more normal state. They also found that in the presence of the blood of these lizard creatures, the animals around, the insects, spiders, worms, would grow for a short amount of time. Because of some morally questionable things that they did, they were arrested soon after the battle. They were brought before one of the senior governors of the city, an elf by the name of Gareth Goulden. He seemed to know a lot about the party, and was absolutely unfazed by their use of magic, showing himself to be a magic user as well, very unusual in this world. The attacking army seemed to have vanished overnight with all their prisoners and no talk of ransom. Among those prisoners were some very important people, and one in particular who Gareth absolutely needed back above any other. The party were promised some pretty generous rewards if they could get people back, especially this one man. The party set off following the army, but before they caught up with them, in a small fishing village near the border, they ran into a small force of lizard creatures that seemed to be the remnants of a much larger force that had ambushed the first attempt at rescue. In a village square littered with bodies, they fought off more lizard men, as well as bizarre lizard-like hounds, and one lizard man in particular who was much larger than the others, and completely black head to toe, who had the ability to spit acid. A lot of blood was shed, a lot of blood was shed, and without any survivors to plunge the daggers into the heads of their fallen comrades, the lizard blood spread and had a lot of very strange effects. Flies, maggots and insects who were getting to work on the bodies all seemed to grow massively in size, ghosts sprang from the corpses, and the party started seeing strange people appearing and disappearing, one of which a bizarre individual named Penin Meckersbrocket, who seemed for all the world to be related to Gimbal. In the course of their travels, they'd see more strange people appearing and disappearing, some for a short time, some for a longer time, such as Frost on the Hillside, an adult monk, or odd mechanical winged creatures. Eventually, they crossed the border into the home region of the attacking army. At the border was a familiar, huge earthen barrier, but what was less familiar is that Rue was able to see that the earthen barrier was supported by a mystical barrier that no one had seen before. Making their way to the first settlement, a trading town called Middlevoss, the party seemed to find no trace of the army. There were no lizard people, there was nothing terribly unusual, other than that the whole population seemed to be part of something called the family. While in the tavern, the group were surprised when they were surrounded and greeted by a large, imposing creature who seemed to be a man, but covered in blue scales, with horns and frills and sharp teeth. He introduced himself as Zinath, something called the Shadow of the Blue. It seemed that this cult of lizard people was ruled over by five such shadows. The blue, the red, the green, the white, and the black. They'd already met the black. The white was also in town and was in charge of the captives, but the family was not as united as it would seem. Zinath offered the group a choice to join him and take over, overthrowing the red, the green, and the white, and taking their places. He had planned to turn the party into the replacement shadows by use of strange mystic stones that transferred power and changed the physical appearance of the holder. One of the party, Bleak, had taken one such a stone from the Shadow of the Black. After Zinath strangely agreed to let all the captives go should they wish to return, the party decided their future lay on the path of power. 
Before they could do anything though, an accident in town involving the drawing of blood seemed to allow a demon to enter. It rampaged through the town, severely injuring Karahad and killing Bleak. The Shadow of the Blue took the body, and the others resolved to complete the mission. Gimbal snuck into the compound of the Shadow of the White, eventually killing her with one of Bleak's poisoned daggers. The plan didn't go quite as expected, and the alarm was raised. The party ran, having to fight their way past several of the Chosen, which was the word that the cult used to describe those of its members who'd undergone a transformation into these lizard-type creatures. They decided to travel to Varensdorf on the coast, where originally the Shadow of the Blue had planned for them, where they would travel by sea to the Shadow of the Green, who was located in the north of the country. When they arrived, they chose to go over land and approach the Shadow of the Green's home from behind. They fought many unnatural horrors in the forest, things beyond the normal effects of the blood that they'd seen before. And the strangeness didn't stop there. Even when they dreamt, their dreams seemed to bleed over into the real world. They reached the settlement of Neela's Drift, a castle and a town overlooking a fjord where many raids had once set off from. They decided that Rue would become invisible and scope out the town. When there, he met someone he did not expect, his brother Robert, who he thought was dead, and gratefully so. For a moment, Rue regressed to his former self, and as the party were trying to get him back together, Rue's anger manifested in uncontrolled magical outbursts. In one of these, he summoned a unicorn and then turned himself into a badger. The unicorn did not react well to the badger and gave him a warning that this was a thing of great evil that he must never court with again. Searching for some mines that they'd heard people talk about in the town, they found an ancient tunnel leading to the base of the castle. And there they found room full of chosen being drained of blood. They started killing. This led to a fight with the Chosen and some strange creatures who could teleport at will. In the last moments of the fight, the party gravely injured Rue's brother Robert, himself one of the Chosen with bright green scales. But in the last moments of the fight, a strange green-scaled female came down and everything turned to black. And that's where we're going to join this episode, which, as voted for by our listeners on Twitter, is Grunt and Squeeze. Enjoy. I'm Paul, and I'm, I'm running this tonight. And on my right is... Hi, I'm Adam. I'm playing Gimbal Gallo Glass. Um bard slash cleric hi i'm biddy i play rue also fuss maybe uh and i'm a fourth level warlock and first level druid i'm kate and i'm playing yaska yusa um a druid go me and i'm paul on the dm and i'm gonna kill you off no yes no you're dead no you're he, dead does, he does no. it every week it's fine you're dead now you're not my real mom <laughs> I am your mother and you will date my wife. <laughs> so, um, so that set me up with your wife. I'm sure she's Episode title. <laughs> uh, so we are going to get back into it and um, see what we're going to do here is um, have quite a loose structure. And uh, as we go into the first scene, uh, we're going to go into a skill challenge, but I will be leading you through that. And at a dramatically appropriate point, you will get a flashback. That flashback um, is open to anyone. Um, you can have a solo flashback. You can have a flashback where there are two of you. You can have a flashback where there are all three of you. Okay. We need to figure out where Karahad went, what happened to Jace. Uh, we want to figure out where you're going. And um, as things get explained to you and information is given to you um, through various sources, what you want to do. Okay. As we get into this, can everyone just please roll initiative for me? D20. Eight. And you get a plus seven to it. Because you're alert. Fifteen. Fifteen? You're alert. Mm -hmm. Fifteen. Uh, what's your deck scores? Thirteen. Fourteen. So Yaska goes first. Root? Eighteen plus one, so nineteen. Okay. And we still don't know... If Fuss is there, 
because we haven't got to that flashback yet. No. We open on a windswept sea. The rain is lashing down. It's overcast. Uh, what are you all doing? Ruth, what are you doing? Elbows on the rail of the ship, looking out to sea. Watching the waves. Allowing their gentle, slow, up and down, up and down, soothe my and as a harp begins to roll me a wisdom perception please <laughs> natural one <laughs> <laughs> well that was technically Fuss's dice but I'll, I'll go with it because it's fun you feel like the, the, the weather, weather could be easing any moment now like this, this rain's about to stop and It'll be nice weather from plane sailing, and nothing's Sunshine. ever going to go wrong. Sunshine and cocktails on the horizon, yes. Absolutely. You smell pina coladas somewhere. Mm. Uh, you, as you stare off into the murky deeps, uh, your mind drifts. And you get a flashback. Where, tell me where this flashback is going to go to. Out of character. Um, I have two splashback, uh, splashbacks. Flashbacks, you were saying. One like of them has to be a dream. Yeah. On your own. On my own. Presumably with my benefactor. Yep. Okay, and then the other one can be in any of the various... Mm-hmm. I'm going to say castle. Okay. And who are you going to bring with you? Who's who's in coming into this scene with you? I think it's going to be... Willow. 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 What other character is going to be there? What other character? It's, no, so if you bring someone with you, it's a character, not an NPC. Oh, a character. Uh, <coughs> I'm going to say um, uh, Jace. Can we bring Jace? NPC now. Oh, he's an Jace NPC, is an NPC, NPC. Oh, okay. You get to describe what happens to him and all that sort of stuff, but... Uh, and Karahad is now an NPC as well, yep. presumably. Okay, so I will bring Gimbal with you. Okay. <clears throat> so, describe the scene. Where do you want it to start? Um, Everything turned black. Uh -huh. We lost consciousness. What's the next scene? We are behind prison bars in the dark, dank, very stereotypical depths of the dungeons of this uh, keep castle we were at. Um, it's like the next room over from the one you're in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Very small castle. Um, there's kind of like algae and algae. Um, stuff growing on the walls because like the, it, there's, there's an awful lot of damp and, and we basically just have a small pile of hay in the corner to keep ourselves yep. comfortable with. Every once in a while you, are, uh, you have been fed, but uh, you've been kept apart for the most part. Mm -hmm. Your water supply is trickling. So me and Gimbal have been kept apart. No, you are, you're, you're kept together, but uh, you've kept, been kept apart from the rest of the population. Okay. You, uh, it, let's say it's two to a cell, that there are, there's, there's two cells here and it's two to a cell. Mm-hmm. Karahad is not there. Mm-hmm. And Jace is not there either. So, both yeah, so both of you are in one cell, there's another empty cell. So, in our heads, we're presumably thinking they're being held together. You know maybe. what's happened to them. Oh, do we? Yeah. Okay. So the cell they were in is now empty. Mm -hmm. Your water supply is the, the dripping subterranean uh, water source that's dripping down the back wall of this place, which is bare rock, uh, and feeding the algae that's there. So you just have to sort of slurp around the algae. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, the algae have been supplementing your diet because they've not been feeding you that well. They've been enough to keep you around. Mm -hmm. You've been trying to cast spells. Mm -hmm. It hasn't worked. The pair of us. Both of you. Okay. And not because of a lack of um, materials for the spell casting, just nope. in general, it just won't work. Even the things that should work don't. Okay. You are alone. You have a moment to talk. Gimbal, we haven't got time before they get back, but I think it's really important. I've got to say, shit in the corner. The corner. Don't do it in the middle of the room or wherever it... The corner. Why do you keep on just doing it anywhere? Is 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 this how you were raised? What what's going on? Get fucked, Ruth. <laughs> I'll do what I want, where I want, how I want. You had your chance to lead the party. You didn't. 
So now I'm telling you what to do. Well, seeing as I'm not going to listen to what you tell me what to do, that's not really going to go very well. Oh, right, that's fine. I won't listen to what you say either. And I'll shit where I like. And at this, Gimbal's just going to walk over to the corner where Rue usually sleeps, drop his pants, and carve one off. At least it's in the corner. <laughs> at which point I'm going to run over to the small little... Um, it's, it's almost like a nest. It's like a little hole in the, the straw that obviously Gimbal has kind of like made himself comfortable. I'm going to grab it up and I'm going to threaten... I'm going to hold it in front of the wall where the water's coming down. I was like, you shit in my corner, I'm going to wet your bed. <laughs> That's fine. Gimbal's, uh, Gimbal's just going to um, grunt and squeeze. <laughs> fine! Smush, 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 smear, smear, drag across the wall. And instantly in the first scene, we're back onto the high standard of gaming that we are well known for. Right back in the scat humour. Yep. At least it wasn't a dick joke. <laughs> Yet. So, uh, as this sort of happens and, and you sort of like look at each other and, and realise that you're both worse off now. <laughs> <coughs> you're just depressed as fuck. Uh, then, and we assume that the bickering just keeps going on and on. This is very much a, we've been stuck with each other for much longer than is comfortable and we are just sick of each other's company. How long have you been here? A couple of weeks. Could be a couple of days, could be... You know, something. It's actually been two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it. Should we say just, just, like, just over a week? Mm -hmm. That's long enough to properly get on someone's nerves. Okay. Because I mean, we were quite nice. We were quite chummy before this, you know. Is it like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine when Jake and Boyle are on a steakhouse together? Well, I'm kind of virg uh, seeing in my head is quarantine from Red Dwarf. Mm -hmm. That kind of just hatred that, that comes from just not being able to escape from each other's company. There has been no alone time. Okay. So, uh, after this has sort of died down a little bit and you're just staring at each other side-eye, there is a What's now familiar is the, the sound of someone coming down the steps and the door being unbolted. And it swings open and one of the Chosen steps in. You know this uh, Chosen um, is, is Corey, the, the person who usually comes and gives you something to, to eat. Um, you got on quite well with Corey because you have to. He's the person who feeds you. Mm -hmm. And instead of carrying a tray of food, uh, he simply steps to one side and lets someone else enter. And the person who's going to enter, you recognise mm -hmm. as someone from Kerava you did not expect to see here. He walks in and uh, <clears throat> sort of steps through the door. He has to sort of duck a little bit. He's very tall. He'll duck a little bit. His robes are very, very fine. He's um, he's not wearing his hood up, but uh, his hair is kind of like shielding his face for a moment, and he sort of looks up and shakes it off and makes sure his robe isn't trailing uh, in the, the algae and damp of the floor. As gentlemen, is one of you prepared to have a civil discussion? He's looking at Gimbal. And this guy has taken your other two companions and they have not returned every time he's come down and tried to talk to you Rue has gone absolutely ballistic say, you know, wanting to get out and murder Robert and every time he simply ignores you talks to the other people oh, so up one by one so it's Robert that's... I thought no. you said oh. Robert was already dead he's not dead no oh. okay so it's, he's bleeding a lot so he looks a pointed look at, at Gimbal as you being the reasonable one there's uh, have you decided to be people or animals as you look up into the face of Gareth Goulden from Kerava ah. what would you like to say to him <laughs> quite I thought that was in character. Sorry. No, no, that, that was in character. <laughs> Bard. Gimbal's just going to say, um, yeah, I could do with a bit of fresh air. Well, you'll forgive me if I don't immediately rush to unlock you and uh, 
take you out and about for a, a walk in the countryside, especially with your friend there being so mm, canine. And he gestures uh, to Corey. Corey brings him a small chair with a back. And uh, he sits, he adjusts his, his robe and says, Now, I wasn't expecting to find you here. I shall let you know your friend Karahad seemed to have very little patience for remaining here. It seems uh, that some peasants he was quite fond of didn't meet an entirely good end. No harm has come to him, you'll be pleased to know that he has left. I would be very careful, Mr. Gimble, if I were to ever meet him again. You may wish to have an exceedingly good answer to what happened to, and he pulls a small bit of paper out of his pocket or parchment out of his pocket, is Heather Oak. That will. Yes. Now, <clears throat> do you wish to engage in intelligent discourse? Pointed look at Rue. I cock one leg up and start pissing on the wall. Turns back to Gimble. So, This was not the turn of events I wished to see. I told you to go and save one man. What happened to that one man? Don't know. Don't care. Gregor Kleeman? Not ring a bell? No. D- don't care. No. No, don't care. Don't care at all. Do you care about innocent lives at all? Apparently not. You look like you're being pretty sweet with these guys. You don't need us. I needed you to bring back Glegor Kleeman because he was the king's bloody nephew. Well, he'll be very bloody now. It is. It is indeed. Remember I told you that we couldn't go in without sparking a war, without clearance from the High King to go in with a just war, just cause. Well, we have that. And since Gregor was not returned, we have war. Excellent. You got your own way, then. I did not want this. I desire stability. War is not good for my purposes. You were supposed to find him, you were supposed to bring him back, and you were supposed to avert this little war. However, you'll no doubt assume correctly that I'm involved with these. He looks up at... um, Corey, in the corner. People. Fine. You've come this far and you've done what you've done. You clearly have talent. You clearly also have very few morals or looking at rude marbles. I lick the palm of my hand and start rubbing my crotch. <laughs> it's the best I can do to lick it. Has he regressed to his former state? Is this know. an act? I don't know what he is anymore. He's been more articulate than this on other occasions. I learnt several new swear words. Has, has he fallen back to the old Rufus? I wonder. This is fascinating. Rufus was a much more likable. He sort of gets up and he sort of peers in it, uh, looks at Rue's eyes and just goes, No. No, I see a little glimmer there. It's a shame I would have Love to have your brain. Oh well. I'm going to assume this pantomime will continue. He sits. So, gentlemen. I have a proposition for you. Oh yeah, yeah, another one. Well, you can stay here if you like. You're so sassy. (laughs) You'll have no doubt noticed that this room, or in this place, your talents don't seem to be working the more unusual talents. I assume one of you has tried to cast some sort of spell in here. You've noticed it doesn't work. Well, you'd be a fool not to put nullifying effects on the room. Indeed. He holds his palm out. He walks up to the door. Goes out out of the, the door and a flame erupts in his palm. Brings it inside the room. Goes out. Outside the room. Flame. Inside the room. Out. So you're in here... 
Thank you. See if you can get a coin to appear from his ear. <laughs> so you're in here for the duration, I'm afraid. There are a number of problems we, need, we wish to have solved, and you may, wish, may be the one to do them. What do you know of this cult? Not much. Everyone is extremely reticent about giving information. Everything we can tell is that they um, they like to kidnap people, um, brainwash them to, into joining their cult. Um, they are transfigured in some way um, it, once they reach a certain level of devotion. Mm. Um, Yes, it's all very interesting. However, you may wish to learn. This is a dragon cult. Wow, never would have guessed. Nothing. They worship Tiamat. You ever heard of Tiamat? Yep. No, you haven't. What? Looks at you. Uh, roll a deception for me, please. <laughs> oh, fucking dice. <sighs> that was a five. Five? Yeah, as you look at you and go, hmm, I do not believe you. Tiamat is the mother of all dragons. Uh, some may say the mother of evil dragons. I didn't necessarily hold in ideals of good and evil. She is currently residing in <clears throat> one of the nine hells. Don't worry yourself about all the other eight. And she wishes not to be in the nine hells. She wishes to be abroad, for she is a goddess. They worship her as such, and she gives them power. Each of the shadows takes on an aspect of Tiamat. She has five heads. Red, blue, green, black, and white. This may make some sense of those you have met. And killed. Indeed. Which have you killed? I know of the white. The black. You killed the black. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Well, you see, I met the Black just two days ago. Oh, another one. I must think about this more deeply. While he's busy expositioning... Mm -hmm. um, Please, dear God, interrupt the exposition. Tell me, <laughs> does a um, 8 beat his um, perception uh, with a sleight of hand? No, it doesn't. Then you notice me trying to secretly... Scoop up some poop. <laughs> uh, he looks up over and goes, What do you intend to do with that? I believe I'm about to do a throw check. <laughs> what would you like me to do for a throw check? Uh, dexterity check. D oh! 20 not natural. 20 not natural. <laughs> oh god, we're already doing <laughs> You throw this feces at him, and it lands with a plop in his sh onto his shoulder, and drips down his uh, his cape, uh, it's probably staining it irrevocably. Gimbal laughs. He stands up, sighs, walks out of the door, waves his hand, and it disappears. Steps back in. Do you have any more of that? Oh yeah, there's plenty more of that in here. Oh, you can <laughs> speak. You're welcome. I'm going to put this to you bluntly. I will speak to you, I will listen for all the hours in the world, but I will speak to you if you stop treating me like an animal, and second of all, get my sister in here. You wish to see your sister. Very well. But think upon this, um, that this cult wishes to unleash Tiamat. Not just on this world, but upon all worlds in the prime plane. Doesn't matter, you don't know what that is. You may have noticed something about the blood of dragons. Strange things appearing. The blood of dragons makes these things happen. And if Tiamat arrives, the doors between worlds will be opened. And I quite wish that to happen. Because, Gimbal, you and I have something in common. Neither of us are from this world. And he goes upstairs. And we're back on the boat. Yaska, what are you doing? I am 
sitting in the cross nest, and I am hugging the mast, talking to the spirit of the tree that it used to be. Are you a bear at this point? No. And what's happening beneath you, you can see? I don't know. I am listening only to the tree. Uh, make me a wisdom perception check, please. What? So it's d20. My okay. wisdom's 20. Does that help? No. no. So you roll your die, oh. and then you add that to it. And if you're proficient in perception... Holy shit, you're the wisest person I've ever met. Yes. 13. 13. Okay. Yeah, my charisma's minus two, though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's six. <laughs> as you're listening, you hear the regular creak of the wood as it moves back and forth. It's, it's sort of rubbing against some of the spars and that sort of stuff. And then you hear a deep bass note um, that seems to be almost like the largest slug that was never in, ever in existence moving across the surface. Um... Like a, a, a slither, but it's not sillibent because it's so bassy, it's so, it's so deep. Uh, and you hear, and you feel the vibration through the mast. And you look out uh, and you see a small wake in the sea just beyond uh, where Rue is staring out to sea. And you realise something very large has just taken a very serious interest in your boat. What do you wish to do? You wish to do nothing? Yes. You wish to do nothing. What can I do? I cannot stop it. It is too big. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There is an almighty smash as a tentacle comes over the side of the boat and slaps down, sending people and equipment flying. The boat reels to one side and you fall from the mast. Uh, Do me a dexterity check, please. Dexterity saving throw. Five. Yeah, five. So uh, that means that you are going to take the full damage as you, you uh, fall down this, uh, the mast, which is 2d6. Three. So uh, seven damage total. Gimbal, you see the, uh, the arm come overhead and smash into the deck. Uh, you are sent flying. Uh, you don't take any damage, but you are prone. Where are you and what are you doing? Well, I had been lounging and ruminating in basically like a big coil of rope sort of thing, so uh, probably close to the prow of the ship, near the, near the forecastle. And now I'm on my, on my face on the deck. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? I'm just going to grumble, I, I do not need this right now. He's going to jump up, grab the rope that he was just laying, tie it around his waist. The other end he's going to tie to the mast. Okay, that sounds like a, uh, a survival check. So that is a, a wisdom survival. Nope. Okay, uh, you attempt to lash yourself to the um, to the mast, but um, as the, uh, the the tentacle sort of drags back off of the side of the ship and it catches uh, the railing, uh, it jerks, and uh, as you're just trying to sort of uh, tie things around, the, the rope comes out of your hand and sort of slithers away and skitters down the deck and into the sea. Rue, what do you mm-hmm. want to do? I'm going to point at the tentacle, and I'm going to cast True Strike. I don't believe has ever been used. So, you extend your hand and point a finger at a target in range. Range is 30 feet. Am I in range? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, your magic grants you a brief insight to the target's defences. On your next turn, you gain advantage on your first attack roll against the target, provided uh, that the spell hasn't... Okay, roll me an arcana check, please. This mm-hmm. is a skills challenge, so we're not necessarily going straight off the, the descriptions in the cards. Um, <laughs> natural one. Natural one. Okay. <clears throat> to uh, let you know what your progress is, it's ten losses or ten wins is your uh, ending condition. You're now mm-hmm. at four losses. Because uh, even though you rolled a success uh, and your base chance of success is 12, by the way, so you're looking to roll over a 12, despite rolling a 12, you chose to lose. You chose to do nothing, and therefore that's a, a loss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um just for future reference, the true strike represents itself in my mind's eye as a ribbon of energy which shows me the path I need to take to do the most damage. Mm. You you reach out with your with your mind uh, towards yeah. this thing, this, this other, the, a ribbon of energy forms with you and it, but it is just snapped away. You can't quite... Can't it just starts to extend it. out and then just 
poofs out before it can take its full trip to the creature. Mm-hmm. Yaska, you pick yourself up off the deck. Yeah, uh, stay you stay sat down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bear in mind if you choose to do nothing all the way through this. You're no, going I'm not to going to choose to do nothing. Okay. <laughs> okay uh, so what, what what is it you're doing right now? Tell me. Tell me what do you, what do you want to do? I am going to cast tide wave. Okay, it's going to be. I assume there's lots of water. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, yes, you can cast tidal wave. Tell me what it does. Uh, conjure up a wave of water that crashes down on an area within 120 feet. The area can be up to 30 feet long, up to 10 feet wide, and up to 10 feet tall. Each creature in the area must make a dexterity saving throw. On a failure, a creature takes a 4d8 bludgeoning damage and is not prone. And a success, a creature takes half as much damage and isn't not prone. The water then spreads out on the ground in all directions, extinguishing unprotected flames within 30 feet. Okay, so um, because this is a skill challenge, we don't necessarily go with the, the text of the thing. So you are going to create this thing, this, this tidal wave. Is it towards the boat? Is it away from the boat? Sideways? Uh, uh, the thing that's attacking us? The thing that's attacking you is directly off of your bow. Sorry, directly off of your uh, midship. That direction. Because it's going out? Yes. Uh, your base, I'm not going to say Arcana because that's an intelligence stat and, and you're a wisdom caster. So I'm going to say um, this is going to be a straight wisdom check to try and get try and get this to work so that it separates between you and, and the boat and the thing rather than just capsizing the boat. Okay. Eight. It's a bad miss. Uh, the tidal wave actually starts directly under your boat um, at the camp. And sends it. So the, the 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 beast is pushed away from you, but you kind of don't know that because <laughs> the boat is also pushed away, and it's like the two are sort of peeling apart. And uh, some some water washes up on deck, but it's of the, the ship bounces up up into the air, crashes down in in the wake of this this tidal wave as the the, the rush of uh, the rush of water um, leaves a, a trough underneath you, and everyone slams down uh, and. A large number of the crew are dazed. Those who are in the rigging are just thrown completely. Some overboard, uh, some onto the deck. I hope they can swim. (laughs) (laughs) Several meetings later. Mm. It's not long. It's maybe a day or so, but Gareth has... uh, spent a lot of time with you and informed you of the, the state of the world around what's happening. Says, well, there's only one thing for it. Gentlemen, I do need your help. And you are only going to become operational if we can sort some things out. You're going to come with me. When we leave this room, you will have access to your magic. But I believe we know each other well enough that you will believe me when I say it is in your interest to observe and be calm and wait until you have the requisite information before you act. Do you agree? (coughs) Fine. Okay. Yes. Not fine. Not okay. If you act rashly, in the next 20 minutes, you are dead. I am dead. Everyone in this castle is dead. Everyone in the settlement around the castle is dead. Everyone in this world, eventually, will die. Do you understand? Not really. But yes, you have my word. I will be rational. The danger we are in, should you act irrationally, is existential. And he beckons you with him up the, the stairs. Mm-hmm. And he leads you to... As Rune leaves the room and the uh, nullification field threshold gets past, there's a kind of a... Uh, <coughs> kind of almost like stretching out my limbs. So he leads you up to a room of what you assume is the ground floor level. And he opens a crack. He says... You can see him in there. He's quite defenceless. And you see 
a green scaled chosen with what looks like a half melted face and bandages uh, or you know in in the things that you can see a part of the arm uh, lying in a quite nice bed and there is a chosen next to him who's obviously there to to tend to him I'm sure he wouldn't be able to put up a fight it's not a difficult proposition to end this man and I understand why you wish to do that I actually do understand every reason you wish to end this man I don't necessarily disagree with you however this should make things a little clearer for you brings you up to tallest part of the castle it's a surprisingly large room it's it's a single room encompassing the entire upper level there are windows open um, and there is the sound of, of bubbling and um, the sound of a pestle and mortar and sort of fizzing and, and whizzing and odd noises and he says wait a moment before you come in he opens the door crack and you can see in this room uh, through this, the crack in the door he points out there's various alchemical objects are lying around mm-hmm. you see a, a sphere of something you can't identify what it is um, some sort of dark but pearlescent material floating and, and, and um, it seems to be giving off various motes of something uh, which just fizzle out of existence as they, they, they get more than about a, a foot from it roll me perception for me five immediately various gases start stinging your eyes and you sort of wrinkle your nose up at it it's an acquired taste and he walks in knocks on the door waits for a while there's no answer he opens it he steps through very slowly and you can hear him very clearly he goes Willow my dear Uh, and you hear your sister's voice as she turns to him and goes how's Robert? he says He's mending, he's mending. He hasn't woken yet, but he will. And you hear uh, Willow's voice. <sighs> I'm getting... He just... He helps. And I'm getting very... I just... I can't... And then you hear a pop. And then you hear the sound of snuffling um, like a some sort of wild animal. <laughs> and then you hear a... As an, a fizzle of fire and the smell of pork wafting towards you. He says, Now, now, dear, that's fine, that's fine. He's just concentrate on the sound of my voice and we shall, we shall get this over, over and done with. And as, as he starts speaking, his, his voice changes. Yes, 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 my dear. Yes, my dear. Concentrate on the sound of my voice, Willow. Very different cadence. Uh, he sounds very much like Robert did. And she, her breathing slows. You know, she becomes less frantic. She says, I've brought someone to meet you. And she looks at me, <gasps> very nervous. He says, uh, come in, please. Open the door slowly and step into the room. And she looks at you. And she goes, <gasps> And her hands come up, sort of, so, so they're tapping her fists together, kind of excitedly. Mm-hmm. She goes, Vroo! You're up! And she just runs towards you and just like, throws her arms around you. But she is green, mm-hmm. scaly. She has a frill on her head. She has a long snout. And she is taller than when you last saw her. But she is still shorter than you are. And, and sort of, uh, as she sort of hugs you, she sort of drags you down a little bit. Hello, Willow. How have you been? And she sort of just like looks up at you and then sort of grabs your face. And you can tell she's not like looking just to see you, she's examining. And she turns your face one way and then she turns your face the other way. She goes, Huh, interesting. Plainer touch. Huh, Rue, how did you survive the fire? Funny you should ask that. I was about to ask the same and she thing. She turns around halfway through what you're saying and she runs and scribbles down some notes and she goes, hmm. And she sort of turns back to you and looks at you and goes, 
Have you seen oak leaves? Um, yes. Scribble, 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 scribble. Yes, interesting. Right, okay. And she starts um, jotting notes down, and these notes are just... They, they look like mathematical symbols that you've seen in stuff uh, mm-hmm. all over the place. And you know... Uh, in fact, make me an intelligence check, please. 19. You know enough to know this is very, very high-level math. Like, she's using symbols in ways that are... There are new symbols, but you can puzzle out that she's using them in place of things that she hasn't seen, maybe. Like, she's using a particular symbol, but the way you would use that symbol, it seems like that's pi. Um, and there's another one which seems like um, something that you've heard of as being, like, you know, some constant or another. It's like, but she's got another symbol for it. But it just makes sense that that would be it. Um, and she actually like draws a little square instead of a little two for squared and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. she, you, and it's very, it's become very clear. She is writing information in maths, whereas you would write words. She's writing maths. Mm-hmm. Scribble, 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 and then she holds a ball of energy in her hand and it just grows larger and larger and larger and she's reading off these notes and this thing's getting larger and larger and larger and it's getting painful to look at this large blob of green energy and you see purple swirled through it she's getting larger and larger and larger and larger and larger it's, it's, it's becoming you don't know whether it's now becoming physically larger or just brighter and thus seems larger mm. and it grows and it grows she looks at it and she looks back at her notes and she looks at it and she looks back at her notes and she starts looking a bit scared Looks back at her notes. She's, she's looking at this thing, and it's it's growing larger and larger. And she drops her notes, and she looks absolutely terrified. What do you do? Uh, <laughs> shit. Um, detect magic. I'll, I I want to try and figure out what it is she's doing. There is magic here. Fucking tons of magic. Every kind of magic. Fucking tons of it. Everything around you starts glowing. My head spins with the overload of input for a second. Constitution saving throw. That'll be a no. You hit the ground um, as you you lose your balance. And this glowing ball of energy just reaches out and out and out. And it starts to touch the table near you. And it fizzles. And you can hear just that. It seems like there's this brightness... Is is affecting your ability to hear. It's almost like it's a it's a, it has a, a a sound component to it, and and it's it's breaking your concentration so hard that you just you sort of hear some some words muttered, as Willow starts to scream, and Gareth Goulden's counterspell encompasses the ball of light, and it winks out of existence, and Willow slumps into a pile on the ground. Roll me perception. Natural 20. Do you need the modifier on top of that as well? You notice that the corner of the table that that light hit is no longer there. It's absolutely smooth and polished. Mm -hmm. You know that there's also a body on that table, partially covered. You didn't see it when you came in. The body's of a child. It seems to have some stitches down it. And there is fur coming from under the, the cloth as well. You can't make any more details than that. And looking around, you see, for a moment, like the seriousness of this situation, you're looking around, and there are some oak leaves on the floor mm. next to Willow. What do you do? I want to go over to Willow, crouch down to her on the floor, and kind of take her in my arms and soothe her, because she's my little sister, and I used to look after her, and I know how to you know, approach her when she's been in stress and distress. And I want to ask her, what's happening here, Willow? What's going on? What are you doing? She grabs her notes again. Sort of scribbling. Coefficient not right. Uncontroll- uncontrollable feedback loop. And she's as she's writing down, mm. it's clear she's writing the words she's saying, but they're in mathematical symbols. Mm-hmm. She gets up, she almost ignores that you're there and sits back down at a bench and starts scribbling and, and grabbing various uh, things and there's a couple of crystals nearby she just mm-hmm. arranges those crystals and starts staring intently at it <clears throat> Gareth Golden comes to you and beckons you over says this young lady is the most prodigious magical talent I have ever seen but she is what we call in my world a savant 
and that is that her ability in one form or in one direction, in one type of skill or learning is so extreme that it has compromised the rest of her mind. She is as stable as you once were in anything but this, and he points around the room. She is, I would say, no more than an eight-year-old child with the temper of one. Did you notice the roof? And you did, it's new. We've had to replace that four times now. Once, she turned one of the Chosen to glass. Don't know how. That's beyond me. She doesn't know how she did it either. You've noticed those small daggers they carry everywhere. That's her doing. They take the blood, they use some of its energy to create a small portal, and it goes into a central repository where it can be used. That's how we've kept under the radar of the red here. He gets his blood that he needs for his purposes. We get to keep some of it for us. There's a whole room of things in this castle that we have managed to not send to the red. He demands most of it, and we've kept a few things that have come through the portals and stayed. You've fought abominations. We found their bodies. Those are her doing. Okay. Okay. Now, unless you wish to remain here, we need Robert. I understand you have problems with him. But to her, he is her anchor. After what happened at your family home, all of your other brothers and sisters are gone. Your parents are dead. And they barely got out. He saved her from the fire. She believes it was her fault. I don't believe it was. I don't believe her talents were as long as they are now. To the best of my knowledge at the time, they weren't anywhere. Do you know what that ball of light that she conjured was? That little ball of light? Go on, what was it? That was halfway between... This is fascinating if you've got the time and the academic inclination. That was halfway between a portal to the Feywild and a sphere of annihilation. It's not a clever name, it does exactly what it, what it says. As far as I'm aware, the amount of the, the sphere of annihilation of that size would have taken at least a blood sacrifice to power, or several days worth of preparing a ritual and amassing power. She did it on a whim. Okay, okay. I'm beginning to see the situation. No, you're she not. Imagine she opens a portal and it stays open for just a small amount of time to the negative material plane. All of the energy on this plane gets sucked through it and everyone dies instantaneously. Life ends. Not just for now. It doesn't come back. Every moat of life, every smallest part of life, every algae, every amoeba, every bacteria dies. Instantaneously. Because okay. she thought it might be fun. If she's so powerful, but yet so unbelievably unable to control this power, why are people... Who's making her do... Why is she doing this? Why are people letting her do this? We're not letting her. If we let her do things, this would happen. I couldn't predict what would happen. Robert has given her focus. She listens to it. She trusts him. So when he tells her to focus in a particular area, she does that. When he tells her it is time to rest, she rests. So that she doesn't work through the night, become tired, and kill us all. I have also instructed her in some of the formalities of magic. Okay. Why... I'm trying to marry up the images and the memories of these people from then to now, and as far as I can tell, they might as well be different people. Why the hell is Robert doing this? Because he so you're didn't give very a... surprised at that? You walked out of that house a different person. 
she doesn't know that it was you. If she did, you would be dead. Now, I suggest we leave her to her work and rest. And he leads you out of the room. Dungeons and Dragons is published by Wizards of the Coast. The song was Shards of Glass by Lou Barabbas and the Bedlam Six. Song over the bleepers is Reignition by Bad Brains. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at swordnutradio or find us on Facebook. If you liked what you heard, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash swordnutradio and backing us there. Our generous patrons have already allowed us to buy a new piece of recording equipment which should improve quality and release times and we're now upgrading our microphones. Every little bit helps and if you give us as little as a dollar you'll get a personal thank you on the show and once we hit various funding goals we'll be publishing our various little hacks of games such as the Star Trek version of Inspectors and doing giveaways. So now on to the bloopers. Thanks for listening. I think I'll have two swords in a fight. <laughs> Always. Having two swords is one of those things like being left-handed. It's like, it gives you an advantage against someone who hasn't trained against that particular thing. But if someone has trained against that particular thing, mm. then you're screwed. Not that I'm particularly worried about my modesty, but just, you know, not everyone wants to see my hairy, flabby self. Paul might be overcome with uncontrollable lust. I doubt it somehow. He's a sexual deviant. <laughs> <laughs> I have no pride. I win. June and we are doing D and D. Finally. Yes. <laughs> Play this for months. This is Adam, eleventh of June. D and D. What the fuck are we doing? I don't know. Oh no, I've got to do a voice. You don't have to. You do a voice so much all the time that actually not doing a voice is like doing a voice. Are we in the right holes? <clears throat> are we recording? I'm always in the right hole, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Is that better? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm looking at like between people's faces. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Literally decide recording. You try. You, you you want to do this. You saved it for this, didn't you? The only date is Chris. Save it for this. I just you know. Monster. Sorry, I've got these next to the door. You brought, you brought Pocky and fucking biscuits. Biscuits. <laughs> we wouldn't be gaming at someone's house if we didn't have Pocky and biscuits. Just. <laughs> I bought Twinkies because they were soft. <laughs> it's like the first time he's been here in however many weeks. It's like making an entrance. No, take your time. Take your time. It's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I, I will foin you. <laughs> there will be foinings. You just took the one step pick up. I can't do that. Balls. No, no you, you can't. The balls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. Oh, by the way, if you're listening to this, he threatened to fire me if I didn't date his wife. It's <laughs> <laughs> entirely in your mind. <laughs> You said you'd fire me if I didn't date your wife. That's not in my mind. You might think that I couldn't possibly comment. All the other voices in my head agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is before the intros and stuff like that. So I'll just recap, say that uh, this will go in the bloopers and stuff, that we have leveled up our characters to level five overall. That means that uh, Biddy has gone to level three, level four no. warlock. Yep, level one druid still. And... Adam has gone to level three bard, level two cleric, uh, in the war domain, mm-hmm. uh, and we have Kate. You're playing a level five druid. Yes. Okay. It's hard to go pure breed. So uh, that makes me sound a bit racist. I'm not racist. <laughs> so racist. So we're going to we're, try, we're going to try and and we've got a very odd situation where we're trying to get sort of 
not necessarily back on track, but to figure out what track we want to be on. Okay, what kind of game you want to play, um, what your characters want to do, and how, how they want to explore things. There's a lot of exposition going to go on, and, and there's a lot of um, revealed information plus um, character revelations to, to, to sort of happen. Okay, about the world, about your, your characters, about how things work. We also have to incorporate um, Yaska the Druid, being played by Kate. We're going to do that in a, in a very structured way. So just to remind you, you get one solo scene, you get another scene with someone else, and there has to be one scene where all of you are there. Okay? But what we're going to do is we're going to roll initiative for it and we'll go around the, the table for it. Yeah? Unless someone's got a strong idea of what they want to do already. I was just going to ask to go last. Okay. Uh, so I can Everyone wants to go it. last. <laughs> I'll go first, but... I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to be doing or what, what direction I'm going. Literally, Gimbal right now is completely blind um, and a bit retarded. Think if about... you like guide me through it, I don't mind going first, but hmm. I've got no idea what I'm doing. Think think about this is the movie, or, or this is the, the, the next episode after the, the cliffhanger of the last season. Everything turned black. You had a big combat, everything turned black. And so what do you think the next scene of that film should be? So you can you can do it in terms of what happens around your characters as they sleep, um, without necessarily them being conscious of it or being like drifting in and out and that sort of stuff. You can um, have it being things happening elsewhere entirely. Um, there'd be things that are happening in the in the history of your characters that are just years ago. Um, that or you know like their first the first ever memory, like when they were born, you know, like, like they're two years old, and that's the first memory. That kind of stuff, like you have absolute freedom of what you want to do and what you want to express about your character, um, about what sort of choices they might want to make. And the choices that you're going to make are going to be somewhere between, uh, it's, it's, it's on the spectrum of hero, villain, okay? Do you want to go, this is why I asked you loads of questions about what your character would like, what you would do for power, all sort of stuff. So do you want personal power? If you want personal power, why? Um, if you, if you want, um, if you don't want power, what do you want? What is the thing that's going to get your character moving in a direction that is sort of Dungeons and Dragons orientated? Okay, because most people, if they're sensible characters, wouldn't have anything to do with anything that's in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So, if you if you're ever thinking about, well, what my character would do wouldn't be sensible. Yeah. You, you need to leave those thoughts at, at, at the door. Like, your characters aren't sensible. If they were sensible, we wouldn't make stories about them, okay? Sensible people who do the, 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 the optimal thing all the time get jobs, they get, you know, they get married, they have a family, they, they turn up to other people's christenings. They're boring. They are fucking boring. We don't write stories about them. They end up, uh, at, at worst case, uh, developing some sort of kink and becoming a politician. <laughs> So, think about what it is that's going to draw your character towards adventure and certain death and damn the guns, okay? Uh, what makes your character step outside of this, what is quite obviously an opportunity for you to nope out and to, to become an NPC and just go and live a normal life? Why are they not going to do that? You need to see what's up here, don't you? She doesn't care what's up here. She knows there's food and she wants it. Tiny wolf. <laughs> tiny wolf. Suck on that poppy sounds like a terrible euphemism. Everyone finish up your snack and we'll, we'll get into uh, introductions. <laughs> Welcome to Swordmet Radio, we're back to D&D. Yay! Uh, finally, it's been so long and no one has listened to the episodes apart from Kate. I have. Uh, so no one knows what's going on, no one knows who their characters are uh, and what's happening, but that works quite well. I'm Paul, I'm the DM, and on my right is... Hi, I'm Adam. I'm playing Gimbal Gallo Glass. Hi, I'm Biddy. I... Stop. We've forgotten how to do intros. Uh, I did it wrong. You did it wrong. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, you got to say what their class is and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And sound like you don't want to die. Uh... <laughs> no, not make me. Hi. And if you're going to go calm, at least do it like a Radio 2 presenter. Hi, welcome to Smooth Jazz Hour. Uh, so, we'll start again. So I'm literally just flying by the seat of my knot pants. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? Something that's like D&D. <laughs> Throw a dragon at it. <laughs> Make a dungeon out of him. Stompy, stompy, stompy! 
she hid in a God. In the bathroom. Hid in the bathroom. She kept throwing the water from the cistern <laughs> over herself to stop the flying. He set them off to retrieve the kidnapped. Uh, he set them off to retrieve the sort of. Uh, fucking hell. <laughs>